listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 40, Specialty Stereotypes. This podcast is brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things that you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you don't necessarily get taught at medical school. I'm Nikki and I'm Editorial Scholar here at the BMJ and I'm also a medical student at the University of Manchester. And I'm really excited to be joined today by two of our regular and original Sharp Scratch panellists, Declan and Chidera. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, um, I'm Declan. I'm an academic F2 doctor, um, currently working up in Newcastle. Um, And I think stereotypes are quite an interesting part of working in um, clinical medicine, so it'll be cool to see what things we come up with. Hi, I'm Chidera and I'm an F3 working in northwest London. Um, in the Imperial Healthcare Trust. I'm currently in a neurosurgical department, which has, I think, (laughs) quite clear stereotypes. So it'd be interesting to see um, how these kind of are across the board with the other specialties as well. Definitely, nice to have you both with us. And I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, the BMJ's very own Clara. Clara, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, hi, Uh, I am Clara. Uh, I'm doing a year as the editorial registrar uh, at the BMJ. Um, Prior to that, uh, I um, was working in the northeast of England, so good representation today from the northeast, Um, (laughs) as a general surgical registrar. Um, And yeah, I'm really enjoying my my time away from clinical work, um, and it's kind of let me have a bit more of a deep dive into culture of medicine and surgery. Um, So I'm really, really looking forward to talking about this today. So this episode is about specialty stereotypes. I actually had a lot of fun putting this episode together because I think a lot of these stereotypes can be quite funny. But I do just want to make a little disclaimer that none of the stereotypes that we're going to discuss today are our actual opinions on any individuals who specialise in any of these particular areas. In fact, I sort of want to debunk some of the myths and ask some interesting questions about individuals' characters and whether being a certain type of person with specific interests makes you better at certain jobs. So to kick off, I've got a list that I've collected of these stereotypes, but does anyone in the panel want to start us off with a stereotype about a certain specialty that you've heard of? Declan, do you have one? Um, so, I mean, I, I think I want to be a plastic surgeon and, you know, there's many, many, many stereotypes about plastic <laughs> surgeons. All um, <laughs> beautifully attractive, which, um, you know, <laughs> certainly isn't true if I might get into it. Um, but, you know, very kind of financially driven, um, quite superficial, not particularly caring. That's the kind of main one that's that comes to the front of my mind. Chidera, what about you? What stereotypes jump to your mind first? So I guess orthopaedics always has that classic stereotype of... Uh, big rugby boy who likes to use hammers um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and cardiologists are typically very scary very bright but really don't have time for you and urologists generally don't exist has been <laughs> I think the general stereotype across my trust urology are never present <laughs> <laughs> and Clara what jumps to your mind first Oh, well, when I was training, the one that we always talked about was radiologists. We just thought that they were stored in a cool, dark place. Um, And doing general surgery, we spent a lot of time groveling to them, begging them for scans. But um, yeah, actually, a couple of years ago, I accidentally found myself at a radiology Christmas party. um, (laughs) Realised I was... Oh, well, there's a story. Um, 
yeah, realised I was completely wrong. Um, and that, in fact, uh, being in a dark room, um, having loads of screens and listening to a lot of techno makes you a rock star of the medical world. <laughs> and this Christmas party was absolutely wild. Um, so, yeah, forget the orthopaedic surgeons, forget the surgeons. Um, the, the radiologists are the, the real cool guys out there. Yeah, the radiologists so. where it's at. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> So this week I asked my Twitter and Instagram followers and they didn't disappoint at all. I got so many specialty stereotypes. I think I got more through Instagram than through Twitter because I think on the response sticker, because you're sending it personally to me, people might have been scared of being rude on Twitter. So the ones I got on Instagram were definitely way more out there. And I think radiologists and pathologists got targeted the most, bless them. Oh my gosh. But... This is like the list of things I was sent. A lot of them you've already covered. And I do feel a bit mean and rude reading some of these things out. So I'm going to stress again that these aren't mine or anyone on the Sharp Scratch team's opinions. So the word, instead of dermatology, having derma holiday, that came up more than once. (laughs) (laughs) Anaesthetists, the fact that they all cycle, they don't like other people, they're always just chilling and they do Sudoku during surgery. That's one that I got a lot of. Um, Really? Plastic that came up more than once, both Sudoku and crosswords. I don't know, and they're I'm always not, in gym gear. I've not heard the cycling one for um, anaesthetists. Oh, they're like cycling. Cycling. cycling is such an A and E. Yeah, it's like they all have a Boris like not that the Boris bike, so the folding bike. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've seen those in the UD. Um, yeah, plastic surgery being in it for the money. The rugby lads as the orthopedic surgeon. Someone put um, authors have big hands and little brains. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's so harsh. <laughs> I know. I was, I, mean, I was reading these through. I was like, can I read these out? I mean, they're not my opinions. So, um, Repeat the disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these are not our opinions. Um, Paediatrics, um, they all watch Peppa Pig. And Clara and I were talking about this yesterday. <laughs> Clara said that they all carry bubbles around in their pocket. Oh, indeed, they've got a lot of bubbles on them. They need to distract children <laughs> yeah, from horrible yeah. procedures. They've always got some sort of toy or Yeah, thumb they'll always have a, a little sticker. toy around the lanyard, won't they? <laughs> um, psychiatrists being as mad as their patients, or that they can read people's minds. I actually read somewhere that something like 60% of people would be uncomfortable sitting next to a psychiatrist at a dinner party, which I think is quite interesting. That's so interesting. <laughs> GPs always wear jumpers with holes in them. I don't know where that came from, but it came up more than once. <laughs> and, um, and there was a lot of um, like the stereotype of being sort of just the GP or it's not as sort of cool as doing a specialty training. Um, then there was also the pathology stereotypes of them being um, socially awkward or the fact that they enjoyed lockdown because they can't talk to patients and they just love labs. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, these are just... <laughs> but yeah, so... Th- any reflections on any of those stereotypes? <laughs> I think maybe the other specialties need to go through the same rebrand that radiology has. Yes. Because I feel like if we could get the marketing, marketing department from radiology onto pathology, they'd be absolutely laughing. Yeah, exactly. Because what your experience is of the radiologist is not... I literally had the best stored in a cool, dry place and aren't fun at parties were two of the things that a direct quote uh, no, replied to me. Myth debunked. <laughs> Exactly. We're already doing our job on the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so we'll talk a bit more about the specialty stereotypes in just a moment, but we're going to take a quick break to hear about an offer available to Sharp Scratch listeners. As a junior doctor, you want the latest clinical information at your fingertips, anywhere, anytime. That's why... 
funded by Health Education England, NHS Education for Scotland and NHS Wales, all NHS staff in England, Scotland and Wales have free access to BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice provides the latest evidence-based information structured around the patient consultation to help you treat patients with confidence. It includes differential diagnosis and treatment algorithms, videos of common clinical procedures, important update alerts for evidence changes, over 500 medical calculators, links to local guidelines and nearly 500 patient leaflets. Create your free account today by visiting bmj.com forward slash UK access. Okay, back to the show. So we've discussed a variety of the stereotypes and misconceptions perhaps that people have about the medical specialties. So where do you guys think that these opinions come from? Clara, in your experience, who do we hear these from? So I think probably my earliest experience of this um, was coming up through medical school. And um, when you do your placements on the wards, people people will very commonly joke about other specialties. And they'll say, oh, what do you want to do? And you'll say, oh, I want to do X. And they say, oh, well, you must be this person, this person, this person, or this personality <sighs> type. Um, I think every joke has a shred of truth in it. So there is probably something to be said that some personality types are drawn to some specialties. Um, you know, surgeons often are very action orientated, very impatient, sometimes a bit bossy, dare I say it. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes your personality um, can draw you to a certain specialty and personality groupings perpetuated um, within the specialty groups. So we gravitate towards those that are like us. Um, and I think that sense of belonging is a real a real driver to people. People really want to be part of the team. Um, and so then as you become part of that group, you become maybe those parts of your personality come out more strongly. Um, and that's probably compound, compounded by, you know, kind of stereotypes that we use all the time in medicine and unconscious biases. But I think, yeah, I think probably where it comes from initially is certainly coming up through medical school. And, um, and having people tell you that certain specialties are a certain way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've definitely experienced whenever I mention that I'm interested in psychiatry, consultants of other specialties in particular, when they at the beginning of a block, like, what are you interested in? I always get, oh, you're one of those. No <laughs> way. Or another thing I've had is from an anatomy demonstrator was, oh, but you're quite good at, and I, like, you know, you kind of know your anatomy. You're quite, you... <laughs> pardon? <laughs> I think it can come from patients as well, having said that. Because I think, you know, if you introduce yourself as, I don't know, I mean, I get this quite a lot. I'll introduce myself as the, the surgical registrar or surgeon call or whatever. And um, the patient just won't believe me because I'm five foot three and blonde and female. And yeah, so I think some of those kind of, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, no, but it must be the tall, the tall man who's the surgeon, because that's what surgeons look like. Um, so I think there is probably a bit of that from from the patients as well as as well as mm. from our own specialties. Declan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so I agree. I think there probably is some truth in it back in the day. Um because, you know, again, if you speak to consultants, so especially sp- senior nurses as well, who've kind of been around for many, many years, mm. um, they will certainly comment on it. Um, but, you know, things have changed since back in the day. Um, but I think those stereotypes have stuck, even though, you know, you couldn't get into medical school nowadays if you 
acted in the way that some surgeons 50 years ago acted. Um, so I think there probably is truth to it for all of the reasons, you know, um, personality types being drawn to the same, um, being drawn together in the same specialties. But, um, you know, as times have changed, I think, I mean, from my personal experience, they are very, inc- like, untrue. But I think certainly at the beginning, there was, there was truth to it. Jadara, you mentioned that on your placement at the moment, you've noticed a lot of the stereotypes. What sort of things have you picked up on? I mean, as you were mentioning, um, when you say, for example, the neurosurgical, you know, I answer the phone and say that I'm the neurosurgical SHO and I'll come and see a patient. Even when they've heard my voice, people tend to be uh, fairly surprised when I arrive. Um, I'm normally um, mistaken for everybody other than the neurosurgical SHO. So clearly, whichever stereotype um, they're thinking of, I don't fulfill. Um, And I think what Clara mentioned about fitting in is actually so important in this instance, because one thing I I experienced, particularly during foundation, when people are deciding um, what they want to do, is that some people went into a specialty with interest and despite actually retaining that interest, decided they didn't want to do it because they felt they didn't fit in. Um, And I think that can sometimes be the sad side of these um, stereotypes, particularly if because of these the teams tend to develop in a certain way and certain people are drawn into it. And then if you're the one person who finds the topic interesting but don't fit the stereotype and everybody else does, it's a self-perpetuating cycle sometimes. Yeah, that's such a shame though because I feel like sometimes someone with a completely different personality type might be able to bring things to a team that other people wouldn't have thought of or have a different perspective. And they might have been able to be even better at that job. And it's well, that's such a shame to hear that. I think that's where the role modelling comes in and is so, so important. Um, I mean, I had never considered surgery when I was coming up through medical school because I thought the people that did surgery uh, went to private school, were male, wore ties um, and went to surgical surgical society meetings from the first year of medical school. And because I didn't fit that mould, I just assumed that, that that was... You know, not for me, it wasn't something I really ever considered. And actually, I met this, like, amazing female registrar who was probably a bit more like me than anyone else I'd met before. And I thought, oh, wow, she can do it. So maybe that's open to me as well. And I think, I mean, that's so true. That kind of psychological driver is so true in every part of life. If you see somebody that looks like you doing something, you you change your mindset and you then think, yeah, that's that's open to me. And I think that's why having diverse, inclusive workplaces with mm-hmm. really good role models is so, so important um, in getting good representation across specialties. Definitely. I was actually thinking the other day a bit about like the whole chicken and the egg question of what <laughs> came first as to whether people go into a certain specialty because of their character and the fact that they're better suited to that job um or if you become a certain way when you're around those people so so for example like if someone is really good at having like very difficult conversations would they go into psychiatry perhaps because they would make a really good psychiatrist or would they become really good at having those conversations through the training or is it a bit of both like what do we think Shadera what do you think um, I definitely think it's a bit of both. So, for example, um, this is my first actual neurosurgical job. Um, mm. But it's something that I've I've known that I kind of wanted to be some sort of surgeon for a while anyway. And part of that was because I know I'm quite um, 
solution oriented I like to find the problem and as quickly as possible remove it <laughs> ideally um, but I've also noticed that through the past I mean I've been in this job since August that part of my personality has developed even more so um, <laughs> I've noticed that even in other aspects of my life so for example at the moment I'm moving people have commented that I'm very solution oriented so, so as soon as there's a problem I tend not to mope I'm like okay well steps one two three four how are we going to fix this so I think it's a mixture of attracting that sort of person but also just through the job and again when you're surrounded by sort of more senior role models who act in that way it almost develops that part of your personality even more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, definitely. Declan, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Um, it's difficult, though, isn't it? Because, uh, as we're saying, you know, someone might go and be be interested in the specialty, but then be turned off because of because of the community. And you know, as as you've mentioned, you develop those skills by spending time in that specialty. So it does make it a little bit challenging if we're trying to think of kind of equal recruitment, if people aren't given, you know, an opportunity to develop those skills, mm. it kind of restricts, restricts certain specialties, doesn't it? And which is a, is a real problem. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think it's a combination of both. You tend to see kind of the, the driven people going to more towards surgery, I guess, more naturally. Um, but, you know, I certainly think you don't have to be that way to, you know, to have the initial interest and to get the experience. Um, so it's a combination of both, but I think it's it certainly shows that there's like a, a barrier if you initially feel uncomfortable going into it um, to actually get the sufficient experience to develop those skills, which, you know, may be needed and kind of are needed for certain specialties. Definitely. Clara, you mentioned a bit that you feel as though sometimes people don't believe that you're the job that you are in Shadera you mentioned the same thing as well um how has that affected like your motivation to continue in the roles that you're in I yeah I had a bit of a I kind of I wouldn't call it, I don't know maybe call it a crisis point in um the end of my CT one year and I think it was just because I'd been in a job where I was so different to everybody else that was doing that job and every time I went into work you know none of the patients really believed that uh, I was, you know, who I said I was, <laughs> and none of my colleagues were really like me. And you know, I was always getting told that, you know, although I was good at the job, that there were things maybe that weren't going to make it easy for me. Um, so I'm quite sociable, maybe, or maybe I talk a little bit too much. Um, and I think being told that you don't fit into that mould sometimes can make you think oh, there's, there's not going to be a place for me in, in this going forward. Um, but actually, then I moved to another job and there were more people that looked like me. And that, that ch- really changed my view about, the, you know, finding a place within that specialty. So I think, I think it can be very easy to think just because this team isn't like me and this team don't appreciate, you know, all the bits of my personality that make me who I am it doesn't mean that that's never going to happen it just means that sometimes and we, we, we rotate all the time don't we so um sometimes you just you get to the point where you're like oh, maybe I just need to kind of find my groove with the right team and the right set of people and mm. and, and and then you 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 do your job better because you enjoy it and um yeah that's very true Shadara I noticed you nodding along there what are your thoughts <laughs> Um, so I agree. I mean, because of swaps and just generally wanting to explore it more on my side, I spent quite a lot of time um, within surgery 
basically throughout foundation and now and particularly when I compare myself to my seniors I very very rarely see myself reflected um, in the rest of the team but I think to be honest that's been maybe a theme for a lot of my life like it was the same at school it was the same at my university I've not (laughs) I've not existed in particularly diverse environments for quite a while and I think at the moment my attitude is that the things that make me different are not things that would make me bad at the job so I just have to it just it is what it is and there's a part of me that I can't and don't want to change and actually as long as I can do my job well everyone else I personally believe has to mold themselves to fit that now. <laughs> yeah. Um and I think I've also been really lucky that through finding um mentors particularly who even though they don't look like me are have been really willing to support me. One thing a few of them have done is actually seek out for example the very few black female neurosurgeons that exist in the UK and um creating a communication line there for me so that even though these aren't people who maybe work in my hospital or work in my trust, I, I, I can see that there are very few of them, a few people who have done what I want to do and have been successful. So even though I feel like I don't fit in right now, I feel like, one, there are examples of people who have also not been able to fit in in quite the same way and and who have been successful. And also, I mean, diversity and inclusivity has to start somewhere someone's always going to be the first or the second or the third and it's going to take a long time until there's actually a lot of us so it might just be that I'm one of those people who does have the environment where there's not a lot of us and I just have to kind of muddle my way through in the hope Mm. that eventually with time that does change yeah I think some of the things that make us different are the things that we need to celebrate and that's what makes our profession so diverse and that is what makes us more relatable to patients and stuff at the end of the day. And I think that, I, I guess while, it's sort of like what Clara was saying about the role modelling with you being put in touch with other um, female neurosurgeons, which is amazing for you to sort of have that sense of belonging. Because I guess that there is, it must be nice if you are in a specialty with a group of people that behave exactly like you and you feel like you really fit in and you're all quite good friends and have the same interests. Like that must also have its positives. But then, I guess it's the people that don't quite fit that but that would be still excellent at that job that you need to sort of be conscious of. Exactly. I think I had a naivety that um, you know you should like everyone that you work with all of the time and they should like you and actually you know a big part of like learning and growing up um, in in a professional way is accepting that you you don't always gel with everyone and that's okay and one of the female general surgeons who I've been so, so fortunate to work with this year, who's, you know, just been an incredibly supportive role model, um, said to me quite early, yeah, there'll be people that find you really, really annoying. Um, and don't worry about it. You know, people just say I was annoying all the time. And, you know, I, I have a personality and that's okay. Um, just, you know, as long as you're toning it down at the right points and you're focusing when you need to focus... You're allowed to have a personality and don't let people tell you that you're not. And I was like, that is honestly the best advice that anyone gave me. Because prior to that point, I was really like, oh, God, maybe I should just, you know, completely change who I am. But, you know, you can't do that. It's about finding those complex kind of layers of your personality and and toning them down and toning them up when it's appropriate. Um, But also accepting that you're an individual and you're different. And that's that's totally fine. I feel like I had um, I've had exactly the same 
conversation with all of my mentors. And I think another thing she mentioned was also that even if you did act exactly the same as everybody else on your team, by I mean, we're talking about stereotypes and by virtue of the way that any of us look, our actions can be interpreted completely different, even if we all did the exact same thing. So she just said, there's no point attempting to conform because even if you changed every single aspect of your personality, you look different, therefore it will be received differently because that's the reality of the situation. So she just said, you just have to be yourself. And as long as you know within your head that you are acting professionally and getting the job done well, you just have to be happy with that. Such, such good advice. And I think think we use unconscious bias and stereotyping so much in in our profession without even really realising it. You know, when you read the exam question, it's like somebody's just come back from India and they've got a cough. You're automatically like, oh, it's TB. You know, because that's, yeah. that's how we make yeah. our decisions. That's how we that's how we kind of, you know, <laughs> progress and diagnose patients. But, and I think, you know, that idea that you're like, oh, you're tall and you play rugby, you must be an orthopedic surgeon. It's just another part of that. And I think sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's helpful um, because it's pattern recognition and cognitive shortcutting. But I think sometimes we just need to do, you know, actively analyse those biases and those shortcuts that we're making and think, okay, is this actually based on evidence? And is is this positive or is this, you know, discriminating against a group of people unnecessarily? But yeah, it can be difficult. None of us like to be totally insightful. (laughs) Declan, you mentioned that you're interested in plastics. What is it about that that sort of drew you in? And is there anything about your personality that you thought would match that role? Um, What drew me in? So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, that's interesting. I mean, there's lots and lots of things, but I don't want to get into why I think plastics are so cool. Um, but <laughs> I don't want to totally nerd out. So um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the nerdiest thing said. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, I actually kind of, I kind of recognise quite a lot of what you're saying because although, you know, I'm a white man, um, I come from a working class background, you know, council estate, parents never had GCSEs, whatever. Um, so I don't think I particularly conform with the stereotypical plastic surgeon. Um, the reasons I'm interested really is, you know, for the clinical aspects of the job. I'd cer- there certainly has been a point where, you know, I've kind of seen... I've had really good mentors who, you know, I can't directly see myself in, for example, like a there's a professor of plastic surgery who was previously a professional footballer um, whose dad was a plastic surgeon. Um, so that is certainly, you know, I do not see myself in him. Um, <laughs> but I guess kind of coming from where I've come from, I've, I've always been particularly motivated and not really particularly cared um, what people think and the additional barriers in front of me. So I've never really let that stop me. I think it's probably a bit easier for me because I'm a white man. So, you know, patients would probably believe me if I say I'm a, if I'm a surgeon. Um, but it's really the clinical aspects are my lack of caring about the barriers and just kind of pushing through them that has driven me to, to want to do it. Um, so, yeah, it's not because of seeing myself in other people. Um, it's because it's what I want to do and I'm not, not going to let anybody stop me from doing it. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that is why, um, yeah, not really relating to the stereotype actually. Okay. 
So we'll discuss a little bit more about choosing a specialty, but that will be right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. All right, back to the show. So one big question I have, panel, seeing as you're all doctors now, is at what stage should we as medical students be deciding what we might want to specialise in? Like, I'm in between my third and fourth years. Like, should I know? Or what is your advice to our listeners? Clara, when did you decide? Oh, God, I decided so late. Um, I think I was in F1 before I even considered surgery. Um, And, you know, there was this common misconception that I think I mentioned before, you you kind of had to have decided in your first year of medical school. And if you hadn't, like, yeah, there's no way you can be a surgeon. You've missed the boat. Um, I, yeah, I had another good mentor who just kind of sat me down and said, look, these are the hoops you need to jump through we can do it, don't worry, it's fine, and I, I got a job and here I am. Um, so I, I, I really don't think that it's ever, ever too late to decide, um, and I think I often say to medical students, oh, have you got any ideas about what you want to do? If you don't, that's fine, because it used to terrify me. Um, it's really anxiety-provoking when you think, God, I'm, you know, 19 and I haven't decided what I want to do until I'm 65. Like, it's just completely unreasonable. Um, <laughs> but I think the other the other good bit of advice I had was um, just be careful not to get flattered into a specialty because it's really easy to do something um, and to be quite a good F1 or quite a good medical student because you're good at making notes and you're very organised and someone to say, oh, you should definitely do the specialty. Um, You really have to question that you're enjoying it, um, not just because somebody else thinks you should, um, because it's really, really easy to get convinced that you should do something and then, you know, that you can't change your mind. Um, I think constantly analysing our choices is really, really important in in life, but in, you know, in medicine and surgery particularly. Um, I think if it becomes, if it gets to the point where you think I'm really not enjoying this anymore, just take a step off, you know, this whole idea that we have to jump on the treadmill at 18 and we cannot get off until we're a consultant is, uh, yeah, I think it's changing um, in some specialties more than others, but um, yeah, just, um, just do what you enjoy and take as much time as you need. Yeah, Uh, I think that's why kind of these F3, 4, 5, whatever years are or becoming more common and actually you know very valuable like you say you're kind of making a decision well although you're not necessarily making a decision for the rest of your life um there does tend to be a certain pathway doesn't there which leads you to the end although you can jump on and off that um 
I think there is no no time that you should you know feel like you have to dedicate yourself to something and you know the general advice for me would be experience absolutely everything put yourself into everything um and then you will kind of naturally be drawn to those things um if you need to take a few more years f3 4 whatever to decide then you know i think that's actually a wise choice because especially if you're not doing things on the side like journalism academia whatever there is a little bit of kind of a treadmill feeling to the process anyway and so i think getting as much experience in as many things as possible um and doing that before you make a final decision is is what you should be doing rather than jumping into something two years down the line you realize you hate it and then you end up leaving anyway yeah although lots of people do leave after starting different specialties training don't they and that's normal which is all which is also which is also absolutely fine yeah but i think that's why kind of these additional foundation years are becoming more common definitely um, because it kind of prevents that yeah i think there is always a handful of people in medical school that sort of are quite set or on what they think they might want to do and things and i've for example i think i want to do psychiatry but then again three years ago I wanted to be an ENT surgeon so oh. that's quite a dramatic change <laughs> and I could change my mind again I, I'm quite open-minded about it but it's just sort of I know what interests me at the moment and I'm happy doing that for now but I think it's important if you know if you think you know what you want to do to stay open-minded and yeah, exactly. if you don't have a clue that is absolutely fine and probably you are in the majority if you're still at medical school that yeah and I think that a lot of people have a sort of process of well I definitely don't want to do that and I definitely don't want to do that and they start just ruling things out based on placements that they have and that seems to work for people what do you think Jadera? I think that is a good idea I think for me that's definitely so I I did go to medical school kind of knowing what I wanted to do because I'm that weird person. It's kind of the only reason I agreed to go to <laughs> medical school because my parents really wanted me to be a doctor and I decided I didn't want to do that until I discovered sort of neuroscience and was like, actually, that's quite cool. Um, but I do think I have a lot of friends, even, I mean, we're doing our F3s who still don't really know what they want to specialise in and they are doing that sort of um, process of looking at things and saying, well, this definitely won't work for me for X, Y, Z reason. Um, and I think that's that's also fine. And also it's probably slightly more important because um, even just through that process of realising, actually, I really don't like this one thing. So here's a list of specialties that I can avoid that and will just help you narrow things down. But I, I do think that there's no rush. Um, as Ekin said, medicine can develop the sort of treadmill feel where you kind of just step on and then just keep going until you retire or die. Um, and there aren't many natural breaks. And for a lot of us who, I mean, this F3 is my first break from formal training, literally since reception. Um, I went straight into medical school and straight into foundation. And this is the first time that I've kind of stepped out. And I'm really enjoying just that feeling of, not being tied down to something. And I think it's important that people hold on to that because I think otherwise medicine can become a very sort of hoop jumping exercise where you just kind of pass through, not really thinking about what you're doing and end up maybe somewhere that you aren't happy. Definitely. There was actually a really interesting article about this that I read about sort of choosing a specialty and it was actually about the specialty stereotypes and there was a quite funny but rather rude flowchart about how to choose a specialty. I'll link the article in the description. Um, It said that 
it said in the article though that if you want to have a truly diverse workforce that's sort of happy and productive we shouldn't necessarily seek to eliminate the stereotypes or encourage trainees to follow specific career paths simply based on how we interpret their personality but instead we should explore with trainees what draws them to like a particular field and help them see past the image Mm -hmm. of what draws them to a specialty and then they can perhaps make a more informed choice and take into account how they might fit in with a particular medical tribe and I think that's quite a nice sort of takeaway message from today's episode Um, until next time it's all from us on sharp scratch today um if you'd like to hear more from us subscribe to sharp scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks time you'll get our next episode straight to your phone while you wait for the next episode check us out on social media we're bmj student on twitter facebook and instagram let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag sharp scratch we'd love to hear your ideas about what we should cover later on in the season it's also really helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on apple podcasts or on spotify as it helps other medical students find the show until then goodbye from us bye remember to create your free bmj best practice account today visit bmj.com forward slash UK access funded by Health Education England, NHS Education for Scotland and NHS Wales.